0: Let us go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, You are El Elyon, our Most High. You are Adonai, Lord and Master over all that is. You are Elohim, the Holy Triune God. You are Yahweh, the great I Am, your Abba, Father, Yahweh, Yiri, the one who provides. You are Yahweh Shalom, the Lord of peace. You are Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You have given us glimpses of your glory yet, our limited minds are unable to comprehend all that You are. We see some of what You do, but we see dimly who You are. We desire to see more clearly, more intimately. We know now, and we pray, that You will increase our thirst for more. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that yearn for You. Father, show us Your greatness and Your glory. May Your Spirit penetrate deep into our souls today. Search us, convict us, convince us, change us, conform us. May we leave this place today more awed by Your person more inspired by your goodness, kindness, and generosity, more contented in your love, more committed to your plans and purposes, more passionate for your worship, more eager for your appearing, more desperate for your presence. Make it so, Father. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Oh, this psalm, I can't tell you uh, how rich and powerful it is. I hope that we can leave here today with some sense of it. If I could ask you a question this morning, I would ask you this question. Is there a place... Any place that you could be right now that you would want to be, what would that place be? If you could leave here and be anywhere you wanted to be, where would that place be? Would it be a lounge chair in the Caribbean on a white beach there sitting in the sun? Maybe it's a snow-capped mountain. Looking out over the breathtaking view and you're getting ready to rush down the slopes on skis. Maybe you prefer hustling and bustling through the super busy streets of New York. (laughs) Maybe it's admiring the myriads of colors looking out over the Grand Canyon. Do you have a favorite spot, a favorite place Is it a comforting place? Is it filled with memories? Maybe it's where your family has typically gathered together for special occasions. Maybe it's the house where you grew up. You have all those memories of your childhood. Maybe it's where you had your first date with your spouse. Maybe it's where you actually proposed and she said yes. Everyone has special places in mind, special places in our lives. As you think about visiting there, what kind of impact does it have? Does it make your heart rush a little? Race a little? Does it make you a little bit anxious? Maybe if you plan a trip to revisit, would you find the expectation To be something that you would aspire to. This hymn has a supercharged expectation coursing through it. The psalmist is thinking about a very special place. It's an exercise in longing for the presence of God. It makes me think about the hymn we just sang. On Jordan's stormy banks, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Not physical possessions, but spiritual possessions. All o'er those wide extended plains shines one eternal day. There God the sun forever reigns and scatters night away. I'm bound. Yes, I'm bound, I'm bound for the promised land. Unfortunately for many of us, when we think about the promised land, we think in terms of physical. We think in terms of a piece of ground on this earth. And when Abram was called out by God from his homeland, the land of Ur, and was directed to leave and go to a place that he had not seen, an alien land where God says, my favor and my blessing will be upon you, I'm going to work through you to bring blessing to all. I can't imagine what must have entered Abraham's mind. Many get distracted and hung up on this physical land that we know as Canaan. But it's pointing forward to God's kingdom and God's presence. That's important. A city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Jacob left home, we talked about this last week, after cheating Esau out of his birthright and deceiving his father. He left out of fear for his own life, and he went to his mother's people, and he lived with his uncle Laban, and there he worked. And Both of them were cheaters at heart. They cheated each other, conspired against each other, But God began to do a work in Jacob. He blessed Jacob and prospered Jacob because he had a plan and a work to do through Jacob. And he began to nurture a longing in Jacob to return, to go back to his family, to go back to the place that God had set apart for this people. And so... He was afraid of his uncle Laban, and he packed up his family in secret, and they fled. Laban discovered it pretty quickly and gave chase. And when he found him, he was angry, although God warned him, Don't mess with Jacob, because if you mess with him, you'll be messing with me. But Laban said to Jacob, and I quote him, he says, And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. Now, that has a double meaning. He had a desire for his father Isaac's house, but he also had a desire for God's house. God was putting that in him, this desire for the presence of God. Paul's life was fueled by a desire for God's presence. In Philippians 1, 21 through 23, we read, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Paul said. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He said, I want to be used by God. Your sake is at stake here. But at the same time, I have this desire to go and be with God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 1, he said it this way, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. When Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians, one of the psalmists wrote Psalm 137, And then there he described the people as they were in captivity, in exile, away from God's city. God's presence, should we say. This is what he wrote. By the waters of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion on the weeping willows. I injected that weeping because when I think of willows, I think of one in the backyard of my great-grandmother's house that they called a weeping willow, you know, the limbs all hang toward the ground. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. I do not remember you. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. They were sad. They were sorrowful. Because they were far away from God's dwelling place place that he had appointed that he had carved out and said this is where i will meet with you in this world psalm 84 is a reflection of that desire it's about the dwelling place of god his presence it must have been popular among the people after the feast and the festivals when they returned back home left jerusalem and went back to their homes back to the fields back to their boats and began to carry on their work again. And they remembered and reflected upon the time when they were there at the temple. There in the city of God. And they sang this song. Four stanzas in this song that we would do well to study. First of all, I want you to see the psalmist is desperately longing for God's presence. How lovely is your dwelling place. How beloved is is your dwelling place how I love your dwelling place he says your presence how does this idea impact you how does it strike you this morning do we ever think about God's presence in this way I wonder I think we become complacent don't we We become kind of presumptive upon the things of God We don't think about coming here and maybe meeting with God. We don't think about the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in us always. He doesn't leave us as orphans. but He's always with us. Do we have a hunger to rejoice, to worship in the presence of God? G.K. Bill wrote a book called We Become What We Worship. And the thesis of his book is that what people revere they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What people, what people revere, they resemble. They grow into a likeness, whether it's for ruin or restoration. David F. Wells wrote in his book, God in the Wasteland, that worldliness is whatever any culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness to seem strange. We normalize materialism, we normalize pleasure, we normalize self-worship, we normalize convenience and comfort. And for many, this is where their deepest longings are anchored. They're living for this world. Even those of us who give lip service to the things of God can find ourselves anchored in the soul to the things of this world and not to Him. A vivid illustration of this was Lot's wife. You remember the story. Abraham interceded when he found out that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed by the judgment of God. If there, if there are 50 families there, if there are 50 people there who, who love you, would you not destroy it? And, and he argued all the way down to 10. And there weren't even 10 people in Sodom and Gomorrah that honored God in their hearts. Only Lot and his family had even a close semblance of affection for God God dispatched angels who went and extracted them from the city I'm not sure they would have gone they were that ingrained in the culture there the angel said you must go leave for your life go don't stop don't tarry and don't look back just go Judgment is coming on this city, and you know the story, right? They left the city, they're on their way out, they're fleeing for their lives, and what happens? The sulfur and the fire begin to rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Scripture says that Lot's wife turned and looked back. You see, her heart remained in Sodom. Her heart was still in Sodom. Even though it cost her her life, she was judged in that moment. The psalmist says, my soul longs, is hungry for God's presence. Actually, it reads better to say maybe, my soul is greedy. My soul is greedy, not for things, but for God's presence. Can you imagine being greedy for the presence of God? Not greedy for gold, not greedy for precious jewels, not greedy for time with our families, not greedy for success or fame or fortune, but greedy for God. This is where He is. My soul longs, yes, even faints. I am so desperate that my soul is spent in desiring God. What an incredible statement. When's the last time your soul was spent desiring God's presence? My heart and flesh, my whole being sings for joy to the living God. This psalm has deep, deep theology. Notice how many times he calls the name of God. Four times we read Lord of hosts or Yahweh of armies. In other words, he is over all. He commands all things. He's absolutely over all forces. Five times we find some form of Elohim used. Elohim is plural. It points to the triune God. Triune, yet one. He is called Yahweh and Elohim together on two occasions. He is called living God or fountain of life once. He is called king once. This hymn has a singular focus. Yahweh, God. My heart and my soul long for the Lord to be near Him. He speaks of the courts. He's talking about the courts around the temple. When there was a feast or a festival, the people gathered into Jerusalem. And it's not a large area of land. It's a small area inside the walls of ancient Jerusalem. And all these people would cram in. It was like a beehive of activity. Sounds and people on top of each other. There in the center, you have the temple. And around the temple were walls. And inside the walls was the courts just outside the temple. And you could be in all of that, all that confusion and all that activity and the hustle and bustle and people bumped up against each other. But when you walked through the walls into the courtyard, everything changed. Everything changed. The temple rose up literally out of the earth there before you. And everything suddenly had distance. And all that was on the radar at that point were the sounds of sacrifice and prayers being uttered and the smells of burning animal flesh. Your, full, your vision was filled up with this sense of God and His magnitude. And he writes, Oh, to be in your courtyards, to be in the courts of the the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow the nest, how deep and wide is the compassion and care of Yahweh. He cares for even the birds, the grass of the field. Nothing escapes his gaze or his tender compassions. My King and my Elohim. He is sovereign over everything, all things. How happy and blessed are those who abide in His presence. They are forever singing His praises. The second stanza, beginning in verse 5, we see the psalmist acknowledges God's faithful provision. Verses 5 through 7 speak of adversity, of difficulty, of sorrows. The valley of Batka, or The valley of weeping. The valley of weeping. There likely was a real valley that was filled with trees that oozed or seeped or wept raisin. The the sap bleeding out from the trees and oozing down the sides. You've seen that happen with pine trees. But the idea here is bigger than that. It's passing through dark times, through sorrows, through sadness, when the tears come, when the adversity is suffocating, when it's difficult. It is the Lord's faithful strength that carries us through, he says. Those who know the way to Zion, I love that line, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, as they go through the valley of weeping. They make it a place of springs. It's not a place of desolation, but a place of blessing, a place of refreshment even. Imagine that, going through dark times, difficult times, hurtful times, and yet the Lord in all of His wonder, all of His grace, can turn those in to times of refreshing. These painful valleys are sources for blessing and fruitfulness. The third stanza, the psalmist prays for God's favor on his anointed. Verses 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. He leans into God's goodness and the privilege of prayer. The Yahweh of armies, supreme and sovereign over all, gives ear to my intercession. He's confident that God listens I was privy to a recent conversation with some folks who were discussing an organization that was implementing improvement surveys. You know, those things, you get them from customers sometimes, they send you a survey, want you to fill it out. How did you find our service? Did you like this? Did you like that? And all the things that go with it. They usually come about this time of year. And several people were expressing frustration. They said, we do this all the time, but nothing ever changes They're not listening to us. You don't get that with God. In theory, you'd like to think that you were able to speak to the CEO or the president of any organization and have an ear to be able to tell him what your concerns are, what your wants are, whether it be your telephone service provider, your automaker, or the grocery store chain down the street. But you're not likely to get through to any of them, are you? You're not likely to get an audience with President Biden or not even Vice President Harris. Judge Roberts isn't taking your calls. It would be nice to have one of those meaningful conversations where you could express your concerns. I remember years ago, it's a joke around here now, being in India when we ran into trouble over there and were taken to the police station for preaching the gospel. And it was a very harrowing, harrowing day, uncomfortable in lots of ways. As we sat in the police station all day, the hostels, the people that were really angry with us, sat across the street and watched I didn't know if we were really being arrested, if they were going to be detained, if we were going to be able to get out of the country, if they were going to take us to the airport and put us on a plane. All these thoughts run through your mind. Or worse, are they going to put us in a jail cell and leave us here? Or turn us loose and let the hostels have us? Finally, we ended up being getting back to the hotel where the rest of our team was, and we were able to have conversation with them, and someone there on the staff of the Hotel came to me, sought me out from the crowd, and said, you have a phone call. And so I went and picked up the phone, and it was the U.S. Embassy in India. I'd never gotten a call from the embassy, but this guy asked me some questions, and he listened, and he wanted to know how we were doing and what was going on, and he said, I want you to know we are monitoring the situation. We know everything that's happening. Is there anything you need? Anything you want? Here's my number. You call me. Now, I have to tell you, that made me feel pretty good. I felt pretty good. But I've often thought about that. You have Yahweh's number. You have God's number. Why am I so impressed with some employee at the U.S. Embassy? That he knows and is monitoring the situation and wants to hear from me. But God says he wants to hear. The psalmist gets this. He says, hear my prayer, O Lord. I know you hear. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our shield, our God, our protector. Look on the face of your anointed. He's praying and interceding for leadership. Praying for those that are giving leadership to the people. Care for the people. How encouraging is this? Sin hides God's face, but through Christ we know God's warm gaze. And then the psalmist says, he believes God's presence is better than anything. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day in the mighty presence of God is better than a thousand elsewhere? You mean that a a day in God's presence is better than a thousand on the beach in the Caribbean? You mean that a day in God's presence is better than a thousand on some mountaintop somewhere? A day in Yahweh's presence is better than a thousand days in my favorite spot? Or my special place? This has to be hyperbole, right? This has to be an exaggeration. No, it's not. If anything, he's understating. He's understating the reality. A moment in God's presence is better than eons anywhere else. A brief moment, a glimpse into the face of the Almighty God is better than ages upon ages. Anywhere else that you can imagine. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. How many of you think that means I'd rather be a doorman in God's house? That's not even what he's saying. He's saying I'd rather be standing at the doorway, at the threshold in my God's house. Catching a glimpse. You remember when we we talked about uh, Isaiah's vision? Isaiah said he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he was standing. Remember we talked about the antiphonal shouting that was going on and how he was standing at the threshold and he could feel the foundations trembling under the weight of the antiphonal chant. This is kind of the picture the psalmist has here. He says it's better to be there in the doorway, in the threshold, looking in, looking on what God is doing and who God is than it is to dwell. And don't miss the significance of the nuances here between dwelling in the tent of wickedness versus being in the house of God. The tent of wickedness, which has no foundations, which is going away, it's temporary. All the pleasures and the joys and the blessings that we think are associated with this physical world are just temporal. But the house of God, built on the foundations of God, is better. It endures forever. God's presence gives us life and protection. Everything we need, God possesses and gives to His own. He gives grace and honor and blessing and glory. He withholds nothing that is good from His own who walk according to His righteousness. Blessed, content, satisfied is the one who trusts in the Lord. All of us are born into this world, into an existence where we dwell in tents of weakness. In this temporary world, we're exiled from God's presence due to sin. But Christ left the glories of His throne to come and to redeem, to purchase us, to ransom us from the bondage that we're in, to restore us to the house of God, to His presence All those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to his perfect image. All those he predestined, he called. All those he calls, he justifies, and those he justifies, he will glorify. We're not looking to a rocky mountain near the Mediterranean Sea. We're not looking for a place where political unrest and violence can dominate. No, we're heading to a place, a holy and glorious place where our Lord dwells. In Christ we are bound for the heavenly Zion, the true and final Zion. No chilling winds nor poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. Sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed. When shall I see my Father's face and in His bosom rest? I am bound. Yes, I am bound. I am bound for the promised land. Are you passionately longing for the Father's presence? You know, at the Lord's table, we encourage our desire for Him. We're reminded of the wonder in the beauty of his presence and all of his promises in a moment as we sing i'm going to invite you to come and receive the bread and the wine and after we sing we're going to remember together remember our god and nurture and encourage the desire we have in our hearts for his presence let us prepare our hearts to come to the table Father, we thank You and bless You today for who You are. What an incredible joy is ours in Christ. Lord, we thank You for this song that the psalmist was moved and inspired to write that so resonates in our hearts as we live as aliens in this land currently. Lord, we pray that You would nurture and strengthen Our desire. Lord, may we faint even in desire and hunger to be in your presence. Lord, as Paul said, not to count it of no value to be in this world serving you, that we do that to your glory and to the benefit of those we encounter, making your gospel known, but Lord, looking, looking continually for that day when we will be drawn together to be with you forever in your presence. We thank you and bless you for that assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.